All right. Good morning, church. If you got a Bible, and I hope you do, open with me to Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4. As we're going to close out our sermon on Philippians this morning, happy last day of uh, summer uh, to all our teachers and students. Uh, uh, I think school starts back this week. Uh, this is our, the teacher's least favorite day of the year, right? And it's the parent's most favorite day of the year. Uh, so if you're a teacher here this week, we, we just want to say good luck to you. And all the parents in the room, we're just going to say praise God together, all right? Uh, praying for our teachers as they start the school year. As you're turning there, uh, let me just uh, kind of set things up uh, to pray this morning. I don't know about you guys, but Philippians for me um, has been a much needed reminder. Uh, this series on Philippians, even preparing for it and preaching it, has been a much needed reminder um, for my uh, busy, uh, distracted heart coming out of a year that was crazy for a lot of people, right? And so there were a lot of things I didn't know I needed to be reminded of. And then we would read uh, in Philippians and, and we would be reminded of that together. And so it's just been so uh, beneficial. And I'm praying that this morning God would just give us one more uh, Sunday of that where we can just uh, be challenged, uh, we can be refocused, we can be reminded of what it means to follow Him with our life. So with all that said, I'm going to pray for us uh, first and then we'll dive right into the uh, message, okay? Pray with me. God, thank you so much for uh, this book. Thank you so much for the opportunity to preach it over the last few weeks. Um, God, I've just been so challenged personally, God, uh, in the sense that, dear God, I want to live what this book teaches, dear God. I don't want to let off the gas. I don't want to... Um, tend toward decline in my Christian faith, dear God. I want to just go hard after you, dear God. And Lord, we've just seen such a clear picture of who you are. Uh, Lord, I just pray that you would center us this morning um, even more on that in, in this message, God. Lord, I, I pray that uh, you would just make things clear for people uh, who are who are maybe on the outside of the faith looking in, dear God, draw their eyes and their heart and attention to you. And dear God, for those who are in this place today and they're struggling, dear God, let us find a deep source of contentment. Lord, it's in Jesus' name that we pray all this. Amen. All right, I want to start off today uh, with a, a, rare, uh, a fairly heavy question. I'm going to put this question on the screen. The question is this, is Jesus enough for you? Is Jesus enough for you? Now, I want this question on the screen. Because this is the question that we're going to be introduced to as we close out Philippians chapter 4. Paul is going to come to each and every one of us and pose to us this question. Is Jesus enough for you? Now, it's really important that we understand the way I, I phrase this, or the way Paul is asking this, is because this is a general question that does not have any conditions or qualifiers attached to it. Paul is coming and he's laying out this question and he's asking this and he's not allowing you to say yes, if. The question is a, is a yes or no question. And so as we come to Philippians chapter 4, Paul is going to, to challenge us to, to, start to see Jesus start to see Jesus in a way where he is everything to us, all-consuming. He's enough for us, even if everything else in our life were to be stripped away and taken away, that we could lay our head on our pillows at night and know that as long as we have Jesus, we have enough. Now, the reason why I think this is such an important sermon is that for most of us, this idea, this idea of having Jesus be enough uh, above anything and everything else in life, no matter what happens, is kind of a distant thought, 
right? Jesus is so, such an association of our lives and not the central uh, thing in our lives that we can't imagine a context and we would say, I don't need anything but Jesus in my life for me to be content. And, but what we've seen through the book of Philippians is simply that Jesus is so big, so mighty, so powerful, so holy, so loving, so sacrificing that a view of Jesus does not, that does not make him our greatest joy, our greatest satisfaction, and our greatest contentment misses the entire point of Christianity. Here's what I'm saying. If we don't see Jesus in such a way that we can answer this yes, then we've missed all that Paul's been talking about in the last four chapters. I think Paul's closing this out pretty intentionally because after we've read the first four chapters of Philippians as we come to the end, Paul's setting this up to ask us, have you seen how good Jesus really is? Is he enough for you? And truthfully, all Christians at some point have to answer this question. As I was thinking about it, I thought about Horatio Spafford. Now, if you've been in church a long time, you've probably heard that name before. You might not even know why. But Horatio Spafford is someone who had to answer this question in life. He lived a life that can only be described as tumultuous, full of pain, full of ups and downs. He, was, he lived in Chicago during the 1860s and 1870s. And in 1871, the great Chicago fire claimed both his business and his first child, his son. So in one year, in a matter of a couple of months, a great fire that was sweeping through Chicago took both his son from him and his financial well-being. After the great Chicago fire of 1871, he tried to rebuild the pieces. He tried to set everything back in order and give his family a life in Chicago. But not long after, in 1873, an economic downturn that was coming across the nation, especially in the Midwest, cost him not only had he lost his son his business, it cost him any opportunity to reclaim the lifestyle he once had in America. So with his prospects dwindling in 1873, uh, Spafford decided that he was being called by the Lord to go to England and help the, the revivalist D.L. Moody put on revivals in England. So he decided to set his, uh, order, his affairs in order. And while he was doing that, he sent his wife and four daughters ahead of him to England to, to go ahead and prepare the way. Now, while his wife and four daughters went, they, uh, in crossing the Atlantic, they came across a storm that sh uh, sunk their ship, and all four daughters died. The wife managed to survive, though, and Horatio, worried sick, without word, received a telegram once she had made it to London, and the telegram read, Saved Alone. In one moment, all that was left of his already crumbling life was falling apart. And Horatio would have to answer the question, Is Jesus enough? Well, of course, he had to comfort his grieving wife, so he got on his boat and made his way across the Atlantic. And as they were coming across the, the spot where the storm hit his daughter's ship, the captain came to him and thought he might like to know that they were now coming near the area where the storm had sunk the ship of his daughters and that they were crossing over the place where they were most likely laid to rest at sea. And when he came across that spot, he wrote these words. When peace like a river attendeth my soul, attendeth my way, when sorrows like a sea billows roll, whatever my lot thou hast taught me, whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say, 
It is well. It is well with my soul. Though Satan should come, though trials should come, let this blessed assurance control that Christ has regarded my helpless estate and hath shed His own blood for my soul. It is well. It is well with my soul. He had to answer the question, is Jesus enough? And while not, some of us will be lucky enough to never have to experience things like Horatio did, we will all experience troubles. And what we'll see in just a second is even in the good times, we as Christians have to be willing to answer this question, is Jesus enough? So with that in mind, let's see how Paul frames this for us in Philippians chapter 4, starting in verse 10. Here's what the Scripture says. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but had no opportunity. Verse 11, not that I am speaking of being in need. Let me pause there because I think that's kind of a, confu a confusing sentence to start out with. What's Paul saying? Paul's saying, I thank you for your reviving your concern. Now, we've got to remember, where is Paul writing this from? We've talked about this a good bit. But in this context, Paul is writing to the church at Philippi from a Roman house uh, jail cell, right? He's under Roman house arrest. Now, and, and so what he's saying is, I thank God for your concern for me. I thank God that you have supplied my need. In other words, they had just sent him a gift. Now, I love that Paul here um, it feels the weight that every preacher in the world feels when they start talking about money, okay? When Whenever you start talking about money to a congregation, the congregation, uh, there are some in the congregation at least, who will begin to assume, assume uh, well, all this preacher cares about is money. And that's why Paul's next words are so important. Look what he says. I appreciate the gift that you sent me. Verse 11, not that I'm speaking of being in need. So what's he saying? He's saying, listen, I'm grateful for your money, but I don't want you to think that I am in this for your money, right? It's every preacher ever who's, who's ever uh, preached on tithing. And then after the service, they've heard, well, all this church cares about his money. That's not, that's, that's what Paul is trying to avoid here, all right? I promise you that is real life experience. I've, I've heard it, uh, the conversation many times. Praise God, not at, this, not at this church, but this is what Paul's addressing. He doesn't want the people at Philippi to think he's in it for the money. So he says, not that I'm speaking of being in need. Finish verse 11. For I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. Let's pause right there, because I don't want us to miss how astronomical of a statement Paul has just made. He says, I have learned in whatever situation to be content. If we just rush past that, we kind of fail to understand how big of a deal that actually is. Paul's saying that it doesn't matter what's going on in life. doesn't matter what the extenuating circumstances are. does not matter what the situation is. He's saying, I have learned to be content. Here's, here's what's crazy. I don't think there's anybody in this room who could say that with such confidence. Paul says, I, I know the secret. Verse 12, look what he says. I know how, he, he's going to explain what it means to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger. Now, we got, I want us to understand what he's saying. He says, the situation is not important. I can face plenty and I can face hunger. That word plenty implies like being full to the top, like having all that you need, being stuffed, right? The, the only way I know to explain what this word plenty means is it, it's like going to Waffle House. Anybody, anybody go to Waffle House like you like Waffle House? Amen, all right? If you don't like Waffle House, you probably won't like this church. I'll just go ahead and be honest with you. <laughs> Last night, me and Jenna and Danny, 
uh, we were feeling American, okay? So we went to Waffle House because that's what you do when you feel American. It, and like, just live in this moment for me. It was raining, you know, and it was kind of cool outside. And is there anything better than walking into a Waffle House and smelling coffee when it's cool? And so we all ordered like MVPs and they were our all-stars, right? And they were like, are you going to eat all this? They looked at my wife like, you're kind of tiny. And she was like, yes, I want it all. Please bring it. And in that moment, we ate everything. Let, let me explain. We didn't eat some things on the table. We ate everything on the table. And I ate so much food so fast that as we were getting finished, Jenna was still talking to me about something. And God help, I'm a horrible husband. I was going into like the food coma, right? So as she was talking, I was literally going, like, I, was, I had plenty. I was filled to the top. That's what Paul, Paul's saying. I know how to be content when I've got it all. He says, I know how to be content in hunger. Now, here, this is something we don't really have uh, an explanation for for most of us. But Paul's saying, even when there are times when I go to bed hungry, and I, when my stomach is growling because I don't have what I need, he says, I know how to be content. Now, here's the deal. We all know what it's like to be, have plenty, right? Not many of us know this. But he's saying, even then, Jesus can bring contentment. Look at the rest of verse 12. I know how to be brought low and how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through Him who strengthens me. What's the secret? He says, I can do all things through Him who strengthens me. Now, let's pause real quick here for a second because we have just come to the most misapplied and out-of-context verse uh, uh, used among Christians in our day and age. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. For most of us, we somehow tie this to our individual ability. We think what Paul is talking about is our individual ability to do things. I want you to see that is not the case. Paul is tying this not to individual ability, but to his context, but to his circumstances and learning how to be content. I don't know what happened, but I, I, I got my own ideas. I think somewhere around 2008, Tebow walked out, right, and put eye black on and wrote Philippians 4.13 in the eye black and then beat the tar out of Georgia, okay, right? I remember that. I still hate Tebow, okay? Everybody's like, he's such a good Christian. He played for Florida. Some things are priorities, okay? <laughs> but all of a sudden, after he put that eye black on, Philippians 4.13, we started thinking that this has got something to do with, like, our individual ability. Now, listen, I don't think Tebow thinks this has to do with, like, how well he can throw a football, okay? I think he's just a good Christian. He was trying to be a good witness. But somehow, we started tying this verse to athletic ability. Now, let me just ruin something for you. I don't know if you can tell by looking at me, but I don't have a whole lot of athletic prowess to my name, okay? Like, the reason Jenna fell in love with me is because not, not because I'm a killer athlete, okay? Such that, listen, you can put me in front of a plate and put a guy on a mound, and if that guy throws faster than 67 miles per hour, right, guess what he's going to do? Strike me out. Doesn't matter how much Jesus I got, okay? This verse is not about that. This verse is tied to something else. It's not tied to individual ability. What we're going to see is it's tied, it's tied to who we are. We'll talk more about it in just a second. Verse 14. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble, and you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again, not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. 
a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. Look at verse 19. Verse 19 is really important because it's going to tie back to contentment. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in, in glory in Christ Jesus. There's a confidence here for Paul talking about the Philippians or talking about himself that he's confident, and we've seen this over and over again, that God is going to take care of his people. Verse 20, to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. So what do we need to see here this morning? We're talking about this question, is Jesus enough for you? And, and if Jesus is enough for us, what that means is we can go through life with what Paul is calling contentment. So that leaves a couple of things for us to do in the remaining time we have, okay? The first thing we need to do is we need to answer a question. That question is, what is contentment, okay? Paul is literally telling us that we can have contentment to get, all, get through life and, and, and overcome anything that we may face because we have Jesus. So we need to ask, what is this contentment? Okay, so that's the first thing we're going to do. The second thing we're going to do is we're going to see how we can achieve this contentment, how we can uh, lay hold of this contentment. So let's do the first thing, the first part of this first. What is contentment? We need to answer this question first. What is contentment? First thing we need to see about contentment when we're trying to figure out what is contentment, we need to understand that what contentment is not. And according to Paul, contentment is not circumstantial. Contentment is not dependent upon what is going on in your life. Can I just tell you that's a really big deal. We need to lay hold of this. Contentment is not dependent upon how good or how bad your life is going. Paul says it rises above a level of circumstances. Uh, uh, contentment is not circumstantial. How do we know this? Because Paul says that he learned contentment in abundance and in need. Contentment was needed not only when things were bad for Paul, contentment was needed when things were good. Now, if contentment was about circumstances, then when things were good, he wouldn't have needed to learn contentment. See, what Paul is saying is that Jesus was contentment for him even when things were awesome. Now, this is really important for us in our Americanized context because a lot of times what we think is we only need to learn how to be content in Jesus when things go bad, and as long as things are good, we can be content in all kinds of other things. Paul's saying that's not what true contentment is. Contentment is when you are content in Jesus even when things are awesome. There's a lesson here. We have to learn to be content in Christ even when things are good because we are creatures made to crave more and more and more even if things are great. So what's Paul saying? Paul's saying we have to learn to be content even if we have absolutely all that we need. Why? Because all that we need will never be enough to satisfy our, our hungry and longing hearts. And we all know this to be true. As a matter of fact, if, if you're a parent in here, I can absolutely prove this to you, this is the case, that we're all craving for more. All you've got to do is take your kid to Target. Right? Let me, let me explain it to you this way. We're made to crave so much so that so much so that it does not matter what you have, okay? We just built a new house in Fountain Inn, okay, man? We're, we're locals now. We're, we're here to stay, man. I love it so much. Like, we, we built it, and now I don't ever want to leave home, all right? Don't be offended if you ask me to come out, and I don't. I just want to stay home, okay? So we built this house in Fountain Inn. Now, there was one condition. There was one non-negotiable for my wife in building this house. Man, you know what we have that are non-negotiables when we build a house? Nothing, right? It, it, what you think really doesn't matter. But now for my wife, there were a couple things that she wanted, and there was one thing that was a non-negotiable. The one thing that was a non-negotiable was a, a room in the house that was dedicated specifically to Danny's toys, a playroom, all right? 
So we built this new house, and listen, we have an entire room that will one day be an office, but no day soon, all right, that is covered in every square inch with toys. Here's my point. My child doesn't need anything. She has more than she could ever need. As a matter of fact, if some of you like Danny, you're like, I just want to treat Danny, and you buy her a toy, I'm going to be mad at you. All right? Give her some money for college. That's what she needs, all right? <laughs> or bail money, one or the other. <laughs> but she doesn't need toys. However, well, every time we go to, to Target, guess what she asks for? More toys. Is it because she needs? No, it's because she's a creature that's made to crave more and more and more. Such that when I'm, riding, when I'm walking by the toy aisle, leaving one section, going to like the other, right? She's never passed by there and said, Dad, you know what? We don't need to stop today because I've got all I need. I'm content. <laughs> you know what she has said? Dad, please give me that LOL doll, right? And then after that, we fight for 30 minutes because she's a craving animal who wants more, Right? We're all that. That's what we are. We're, we're, we're animals on the inside who just want more and more and more. So here's what Paul is saying. Paul is saying it doesn't matter how much you have, even in abundance, you need to learn to be content because enough will never be enough because you're made to want more. It's like Augustine said, our hearts are restless until they find their rest in thee. In other words, none of that stuff was made to satisfy you. And so here's what's really hard that we've got to come to grips with. Here's what that means. All that stuff in life, that we thought was going to make us happy in the first place, whether that be a new career, whether that be kids, whether that be spouses, whether that be a new house, right? All that stuff that we thought was going to satisfy our longing heart, or, here's what we got to understand, that none of that stuff's going to do the trick anyway. And see, that's hard for us to come, that's hard for us to, come to grips with. That it doesn't matter how good a marriage I got, my wife is never going to be enough to satisfy my longing heart. Doesn't matter how good my kids are, they'll never be enough to satisfy my lonely heart. Doesn't matter how good everything is in my life, it will never be good enough for me to lay my head down at night and feel like I've got all I need unless I have Jesus. So what is contentment? Contentment means Jesus is enough for us even when we have all that we could ever want. But also, it means that Jesus is enough for us when we have, we don't, when we have, don't even have what we think we need. And this was the case for Paul a lot. So Paul says, I know how to be content in abundance. He says, I know how to be content with nothing. Look what, it, I, let me just encourage you, okay? There are some people in this room who have had a bad stretch of time. Maybe a bad week, maybe a bad month, maybe a bad year or a couple years, okay? Now, and I, that doesn't, We've, we've all been there. We've all had bad times. But let me just encourage you with this. As bad as you've had it, you did not have it as bad as Paul had it. Paul had a rough life, man. Let me, let me prove to you what I'm saying. 2 Corinthians, look with me at chapter 11. I want, you to see what, I want you to see how Paul had it. Starting in verse 23, here's what the Bible says. Are they servants of Christ? I am a better one. What a statement. Like, I long for the day when I'm, like, following Jesus so hard that I can get up here and be like, you guys think you follow Jesus not as good as I do, right? But that's what Paul's saying. Like, that'll never happen for me. It happened for Paul. Look what he says. How does he know he's a better follower of Jesus? I am talking like a madman. He's saying, this isn't right for me to say, by the way. He's not saying, like, hey, this is what I should. He's saying, I'm talking like a madman. He's, uh, he's agreeing that this is crazy. But he says, I, I'm, I'm a far better one because I have far greater labors. In other words, I work harder for Jesus than you do. With far more imprisonments, I've been arrested for Jesus more than you have. 
with countless beatings, I have been beaten for Jesus more than you have, and often near death. All right, that sounds pretty bad. But unless we think, like, oh, he's just kind of exaggerating, he, he goes on for us. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews 40 lashes minus one. Now, let me just give you a little historical context. Historically speaking, 39 lashes was a punishment that you may or may not live from. Like, they, they didn't necessarily expect you to die, but if you got 39 lashes and you died, they were kind of like, well, I guess we beat him too hard, he's dead, right? It was not one of those things where they were like, oh, shoot, we didn't mean to kill him, right? So he says, five times I got beaten with 39 lashes by the Jews. Three five times I've received at the hands of the Jews 40 lashes minus one. Three times I've been beaten with rods because he feels a need to distinguish those two for some reason, all right? Once I was stoned. Now, I love how this is, the once I was stoned is just a throwaway for him, right? How bad your life? Well, one time I was stoned with rocks, right? Right, it, like... Anybody remember this story when he was stoned? What was he doing? He was preaching in a town, right? And they dragged him to the edge of the town and threw rocks at his head until they thought he was dead, right? Sometime later, he wakes up, didn't die, and goes back into the town and starts preaching again. That's a pretty rough life. I'm just going to tell you, next week, y'all drag me out in that field, throw some rocks at me, I'm going to a different church. <laughs> right? I'm like, you know, God's, God's given me the sign. It's time to move on, right? He says... No, Hey, this is just a throwaway for him. That's how his life is going. Three times I was shipwrecked. So not once, not twice, but three. If I get on a plane with you and the plane goes down one time, maybe a freak accident, all right? If I get on a plane with you the second time and it goes down again, you've got to find a new travel companion, okay? Imagine the guy that got on the ship with him for the third time. Three times I have shipwrecked, a night and a day I was at drift at sea, on frequent journeys, in danger from rivers, in danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from the Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers. We get it, Paul. There was a whole lot of danger going on. What's, here's what I want you to see. There was a lot of times in Paul's life that were just bad. Like by no measure of any standard that we have would we be like, well, his life's awesome. No, it, he had it bad. And here's what Paul's showing us, that contentment means Jesus is enough even when we don't have what we think we need, even when life doesn't go at all like we planned it. Paul's saying you can be content because Jesus is enough even when life doesn't go like you planned it. So, that, so what is contentment? Contentment is when Jesus is enough for us no matter the circumstances around us. And I love the word he uses here for I've learned to be content. That word is used of countries in the Greek language uh, that have no need of importing other things for survival. So what's he saying? It, it, when a country said I am content, it meant that I don't need help from any of you. I'm good. So what's Paul saying? He's saying in Jesus, I am content such that it does not matter if anything else comes into my life, I've got all I need. Man, that's a... It's a big statement. Can I just tell, be honest with you? That statement feels kind of distant. It doesn't matter what goes on. I'm, I'm good. So let's try to understand this. Where does contentment come from then? He, he says, I find contentment when Jesus, when Christ is the source of my strength. Look with me at verse 13 again. The secret of contentment is found in relationship to Jesus. Verse 13 says, I can do all things through Him who strengthens me. Let's talk about this for just a second. 
He's saying, my secret to contentment is found in my relationship to Jesus Christ. I can do all things. Now, I think a lot of the reason we have problems understanding what this verse means is that when we start to think about the, the word do, we think about it in, an, in terms of like an action verb, right? So a lot of the reason why we start thinking about this word is like, um, is like uh, this verse is like pertaining to individual abilities is we think of when I can do all things, we think that that means that, you know, Jesus Christ is empowering us to actively do things in the world, and that involves our individual ability. Well, that kind of misses what Paul is saying when he uses the word do. And this is, this, this is something that, uh, like, I, I'm not trying to sound smart when I say this. You can pick up any commentary and read this. But that word do in the original language, it doesn't mean do like an action verb. That word do, I, I can do all things, actually means I can be made strong. It's not so much an action as it is a state of being. He's saying, I'm not, I can be made a certain way because of Jesus Christ. It doesn't have anything to do with your ability to do things. It has everything to do with who you are. I can do, I can be made strong to do what? All things. Now this is where, if I can be honest, this verse troubles me a little bit. Because he, Paul says, I can do all things. Now, we all know this. We know what all means. All means all. All means everything, right? All doesn't have options for limitations here, right? And this is why this verse troubles me so much. Paul says, I can be content. I can be made strong in Jesus to encounter all things in life. Doesn't matter what the situation is. Doesn't matter how good things are. Doesn't matter how bad things are. I, I can do it. All things. Now, this verse troubles me because there is no exceptions here. Because this almost to me, if I can just be vulnerable with you and not just give you Christian speak for a minute, this verse to me would be a lot easier to understand if it had an asterisk beside it. I can do all things, asterisk, except bear the loss of a spouse or child. Then I'd be like, you know what? That, that's, probably, that's probably pretty accurate, Paul. I can do all things, Asterisk, except suffer financial ruin. I can do all things, asterisk, except uh, have my career torpedoed, right? If, if I read that, I'd be a little bit more okay with this verse because it, th then it would read like this. I can do most things through Jesus Christ, but some stuff's so hard that Jesus can't even get you through it, right? And if we're honest, that seems a little bit closer to home. Because we don't have any context for like going through the bad stuff and it, Jesus still being enough. But here's what Paul's saying. That even if the worst thing imaginable happens, there is no asterisk. Jesus is still enough for us. Does not matter the circumstances. Whether they are the best circumstances in all the world so that you can be rich sitting in a five-star restaurant, drinking the finest drink, eating the finest dinner, and you can still look at it and say, Jesus is better than any of this. Or you can be homeless under the side of the, under the, side of the bridge and you can still look around and say, Jesus is all I need. He says, I can do all things. How? Through Him who strengthens me. Now, this is where it gets really important. This connection here is vital to understand this verse. I can do all things through Him who strengthens me. If you leave Jesus out of this verse, the first part of this verse doesn't matter. The way, we're, the way we are made strong, the way we are made fortified, the way we can stand against anything that comes against us and say Jesus is enough is found in our relationship to Jesus Christ. I want you to notice that Jesus is the central part of the Christian life here. 
This connection to Jesus, this relationship with Jesus is what makes us the kind of person who's content in all the circumstances, who, that makes us the kind of person that looks at Jesus and says, Jesus, you are better than all this. This is why this feels distant to us sometimes, because what Paul is describing here is a relationship with Jesus, not an association with Jesus. Because what he's saying is, I can do all things through Him who strengthens me, as I can do all things through Christ who is my Lord, who is my Savior, who is the most important thing in my life, such that all i got to have in life is Him. This is why, listen to me for just a second, the Christian life's main aim is simply about having, knowing, pursuing, obeying, and loving Jesus. That the main thing in your life should be Jesus Christ. And that all of this other stuff is good stuff. Family's good, kids are good, marriage is good, job is good, but all of that stuff is not the main thing. The main thing is Jesus Christ. And what happens when that's the main thing? that you become fortified, made strong, so it does not matter what happens in your life, you can answer this question, is Jesus enough? Yes, He's all I need. So here's what I want us to do. I want to I close a little bit differently than we have in the past. I want us to consider this question personally for just a second. Is Jesus enough for me? And can I just be honest with you? This is... I. I've wrestled with this question all three times I've preached it because I don't feel like I have a good hold on this. But if you're like me and you feel like you don't have a good hold, is Jesus enough? Like, can I lose everything in Jesus? Can I have everything in Jesus be enough? There's two things we need to kind of wrap our head around. Number one, we may need to consider that Jesus is not enough for me because I don't have a connection to Jesus. In other words, Jesus isn't my, I don't have a relationship with him. He ain't my Lord and Savior, so of course he's not enough for me for those of us who are believers maybe you don't have a believer maybe you're not a believer you need to figure that out this morning you need to pray and ask god to save you but for those of us who are believers maybe that still feels di feels distant and we don't know why and here's what i want you to I, I don't want us to miss one key word in this passage he says i have learned the secret to being content now here's what we don't need to miss contentment is a learned process in Jesus Christ, contentment is not something we know. Here's what he's saying. That you have to go through the highest peaks and understand that even everything in this world is not going to satisfy you. And you have to go through the lowest moments to realize Jesus is all you need. So maybe you're here this morning, you're a believer, and it feels distant. Here's what I want to challenge you with. Believe this in your heart. And then when it comes time to learn this in your life, then we can start to answer this question, Jesus, you are enough. And now, here's where that's kind of scary for me, is that most of the time you learn this in the valley, not on the mountaintop. And part of the Christian life is being willing to walk. Yeah, I don't even like preaching this stuff, because that means one, I'm telling you, like, I don't want to have to deal with this, okay? But as you go through the valley, that's when you learn to say, Jesus is enough. So let's consider that for just a moment. And then here's what I want us to do. I want us to answer this question corporately. And the best way to do that corporately is to celebrate the Lord's Supper. As we say, Jesus, is Jesus enough for you? We can consider what Jesus Christ has done. We consider, consider what Jesus Christ has done in leaving heaven and coming to earth and dying on a cross and being resurrected on the third day and then going to make a place for us. We can consider that this morning. 
And as we consider that, we can take the, the Lord's Supper and take His body and take His blood and say, Jesus, you are enough. So with that said, I want every head bowed and every eye closed for just a second. If you got one of those little cups when you were walking in, I want you to go ahead and take that cup. If you didn't get one of those cups, you can raise your hand now. we got a couple people on host team who can bring you one. Just pop that hand up if you didn't get one. As, the, as people are getting one who didn't get one, let me just remind you for just a second. The Lord's Supper is for people who are born-again believers. And the reason why I want to be specific with that is that the Lord's Supper is for people who have answered this question, is Jesus enough, and answered yes. And if you're not a believer, you can't answer that question yes. So this is one of those things where, like, if you're not, you're not sure, like, it's okay to sit this one out. Nobody's going to look at you and judge you like you got three eyes or, like, four heads or whatever. But you can sit this one out. But for believers, we've answered this question. Is Jesus enough? And we want to celebrate that today. So what we're going to do is we're going to remember what he said on the night that he died. And in 1 Corinthians, it said this way. And when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And so we take the bread this morning. And we hold it up and we say, Jesus, your body that was broken for my sin, it is enough. Take and eat. Then we take the cup and we remember what he said, that this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And we take the blood and we hold it up and we say, Jesus, you are enough. Take and drink. And we worship the, the King, the God who is more than enough for us. Will you pray with me? God, thank you so much for this day. We take a moment, dear God, and we just come before you. And God, we do say you are enough. When things are better than we deserve them to be, you're enough. And when things are not as we wish, you're enough, God. And though we have to learn this in the valley many times, God, we trust that you're, that you're enough for us. And we come before you now and we worship you because we believe that. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.